Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? I, I noticed some of you feeling a little, a little chilly here in the open air. Um, uh, yesterday I flew in from Wisconsin, where it was snowing the whole day. So I feel really nice and warm right now. I'm thankful to be here. So we're on a series about life in the Spirit. What does it mean to live in the power, in the grace, in the love, in the, in the, in the, in the middle of our world as people of the Spirit, people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, people empowered by the Holy Spirit, people gifted by the Spirit, all for the glory of God and through Christ our Lord. I should say, by the way, if you're a visitor here today, once again, you've already been welcome, but from my heart, welcome to any visitors. We're really glad you're here. And uh, if there's people here who don't yet know Jesus as your Lord, Savior, my prayer is that you would hear the voice of God as we read the Bible today and as you interact with believers here and that you would come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're wondering, if, you, if you're new to this church and you're wondering about my funny accent, it's kind of mid-Pacific, mid-Atlantic. I'm from Australia. I sp uh, spent over 20 years in England and now I've been uh, a long time in America. So no, I, apparently my accent is... Is at home nowhere in the world. Uh, no one thinks I belong uh, wherever I'm speaking. So it's, it's uh, one of those strange things. But uh, we're all at home with the Lord, and that's enough. As we've been reading through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which is the passage we're working on at the minute, uh, we saw... Last time, which was two weeks ago, how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are intended to display in and through believers and in and through the church the character, the nature, the power of God himself. They're meant to put God on display. If, in other words, to, to, to be a portrait of the invisible God to say something about God. It's not that complicated. Gifts of healing display God's power, his healing, his compassion. Gifts of wisdom display and present God's wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You, you get the point. It, it's, it's not that complicated. The gifts given to the body of Christ, which is the church, paint a richly colored portrait of a God who is powerful and wise, who knows us and everyone who makes himself known, who is compassionate and healing, who speaks, who is present by his spirit in the church and who listens to the prayers and praise of, his, of the nations. Now, in Corinth, there's a situation going on that Paul is addressing where some gifts of the Holy Spirit are being overemphasized and others are being less emphasized. And if that situation happens, if some are suppressed and others are overemphasized, then the picture that the church is painting of God for the world to see is likely to be warped or 
imbalanced or dulled or blurred. It's not the picture that Jesus wants the world to see of the invisible God expressed through his people. And so what Paul does in this passage we're, we're dealing with today, which is really from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 all the way to fourteen five. So we're doing a lot of scripture today, and we're going through it pretty quickly. But in this section, Paul is describing how the gifts are the power of the Spirit that's working through you, through believers, through in the church, has to be united together with love. That uh, that will come, and he's, he's very clear about this, as as you will see. So let's begin with our first passage, which is starting in First Corinthians, Second First Corinthians, chapter twelve, and we'll read verse twelve to fourteen at the beginning. For just as the body is one and has many members, by the way, he's talking about a human body. Body is a single unit that has many bits to it. Right, And all the members of the body, though many are one body, uh, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all, that's we being believers, were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member or one part, but many. So he's using an analogy, a metaphor, about the human body, so it's got lots of bits to it, and it's and yet it's united, and that's how God made the church. So that's how Jesus made His body, if you like, in one Spirit, the one Holy Spirit. We were all immersed or baptized into one body, uh, whether you're Jew or Greek. So ethnic distinctions don't matter. Slave or free, economic uh, and, and dis- distinctions, distinctions of power. Uh, and or, or lack of power in 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 they don't matter in the church because we're all one in Christ and all made to drink of one spirit. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. And notice then the emphasis on the, of the one and the many. In this short three verses I just read, he mentions the word one five times, the word many three times. So you'll see the emphasis on the unity, but the 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 diversity in the in the church is also evident. Let's move on. The church is multi-gifted and multi-ethnic. Uh, that's how Paul sees the church. It's the church is full of people who are powerless and powerful. The church is full of people who are from different races, different backgrounds, different colors. Church is full of people who have multitude of different gifts. And not only is this diversity represented, not only is this diversity brought into complete unity in Jesus, it's actually through the very variety of gifts that God gives a church that we are made into one. So let's keep reading and we'll go to verse 15 to 19 of 1 Corinthians 12. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, 
Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But now God arranged the members of the, in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now, it's, it's, again, he's talking about the human body. If your foot should say, you know, I'm not a, not a hand, I don't belong to, this, to your human body. That doesn't make any sense, of course, but it's, 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 it's a metaphor he's using. If your ear would say, no, not an eye, it should be an eye to be part of the body. That, that wouldn't make it any still part of the body, even if it's not an eye. Right? And if the whole body were an eye, what would that be? What kind of body would that be? Now, just, that's a bit grotesque, actually, to think about that for a moment. If we're all sitting here looking at a bunch of eyeballs. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, thank you. So... Or if the whole body were an ear, you know, where would be the sense of hearing? You wouldn't be able to, if you were all, if, if, if your human body was just an eyeball, you wouldn't be able to hear. If your human body was an ear, you wouldn't be able to smell and so on. We need the different senses. And so God has arranged the parts of the human body, each one of them is she chose. But notice Paul's already talked about them being one body in Christ and in the spirit. So the metaphor is for the church. God has arranged the members, that's people, in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single part, a single member, where would the body be? You know, the answer would there wouldn't be a body. And so that's how, that's what he's saying. Now listen, every member's gifts are needed. That's the point here in this short passage. Every member's gifts are needed. And, and the variety of gifts are all needed, right? Because otherwise, if, if, the, if the church only has, you know, two of 25 gifts working, right? Then it's like being a body with just, just made of eyeballs. We can't walk, you can't hear, you can't smell, you can't talk, right? So the church where the gifts, the various gifts are not present is actually limited in its not only its ability to function but it's very limited in its ability to represent who God is in the world and it would lack essential senses it would lack essential parts every member's gifts are needed you see some people are like the foot here they say Oh, I'm not a, I'm not a hand. As it, I, I don't belong. I'm not really. In other words, what they're saying is, no one needs me. I'm just a foot. No one needs me. In the church, I'm just. In fact, if I wasn't here, no one would notice. Uh, I am not. I'm not. I'm just. No one needs me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll go and eat worms. It's self pity it's self-doubt it's self-centeredness if you spend your time thinking about well i'm so so insignificant i've got nothing to offer no one really needs me the more you think that way the more you're centering in on your own life your own situation and the less you are actually living in love and living in concern and care for others 
It's, a, it's an inverted form of pride, actually, of self-centeredness. Um, each gift of the Spirit, each gift portrays the invisible God in our midst and is therefore absolutely necessary. Whatever gifts God gives you, they are absolutely necessary. We cannot say, no one needs me. That you know, if, I'm, if only I were a whatever it is that you would rather be in the church, whatever gifts you'd rather have. If you say that, then uh, you know, you're basically saying that, uh, that the body should only consist of a few different gifts and not the many that God has given us. Your gift displays the invisible God in and through the church in very important ways. Whatever gifts God has given you, they display God in significant ways to one another and to the world. And we absolutely need it. All right? Now, we keep reading in verse 20 and 21. Now, there are many parts, yet one body... The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. All right. Uh, he's mentioned the feet a couple of times here. Believe me, if anybody's ever experienced a problem with your feet, uh, you don't really notice them until, you, until they're hurting. It's like your back, right? You don't really notice your back because you can't see it's behind you. <laughs> but if you ever had a back problem, you suddenly discover... I've got a back, <laughs> you know, it's there and it's killing me, right? You just, and, and look, every member's gifts are needed. We just said that from the previous verses. Here we want to say every member needs the gifts of others. If your gift is a hand or an eyeball, right, you need the others. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? Just as there are people who basically say, no one needs me, then there are other people who say, I need no one. You know, there are some people, no one needs me, I'm insignificant. That's the kind of self-pity and self-centeredness in that way. There's an equally powerful form of self-centeredness and arrogance, which is that I need no one. I don't need these others. We absolutely do. When we think that we, need, we don't need others, right, then this is displays arrogance in, in rather than love in the world. It displays independence rather than humility. And, and, and it displays pride. And when we think we don't need others, we put the walls up. And we don't let people in, and we live in little isolated pockets of our world that God has put us in. And that's not God's plan for his church, because he's, he's planned us to display God's character in the world together. Not as separate bits floating around, right? But... This is, I mean, the metaphor would be even getting more grotesque, but just imagine if we were all just bits of human body sitting around here, you know, whatever bit you are, right? That's just not beautiful, right? Not that I've ever dissected a human body, but I have dissected a frog. Believe me, uh, you know, even if you don't think frogs, frogs are that pity, they look even worse when they're cut up. 
and uh, the church that is not unified with its different gifts that God has given it is not a pretty sight. And when we have that arrogance to think that, that I need no one, I can survive, thank you very much, without others, we are just fooling ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. And the church is limited in a way it can portray the goodness of God. Each other's gifts are absolutely necessary to the portrayal of God, and His grace is necessary to each one of us. Amen? So, just imagine, you know, if... I'll I'll come back to that. Uh, Let me see. Beg your pardon. Yes, so imagine if the church was all made up of people with the same spiritual gift. Just for a moment, right? If everyone was a servant, that'd be a good thing. You know, the gifts of service represent, mentioned in, in Romans 12. Uh, that's a wonderful gift. But if everyone had the gift of service and no other gift, what would, they, what would we do? We wouldn't have pastors and teachers and we wouldn't have healers and administrators and we wouldn't have gifts of mercy, right? We would just, we'd be able to do, we'd be able to help people through serving. That's it. Nothing else would get done. If there were, if all the church was evangelists, that'd be great for mission, right? We get out there and reach people, but what would we do with them? What would we do with them? Who would shepherd those people? Who would lead them? If, if some gifts are suppressed in the church so that we're not acknowledged, they're not recognized, they're not used, what happens then to that church if gifts are suppressed? We, not only do we inadequately portray the invisible God to the world, but we hurt each other by not being able to express the things that God has given to build each other up to build up the church, right? If we don't, if we suppress gifts of wisdom and knowledge, gifts of healing, uh, then people stay sick who might be healed otherwise. People stay uninformed who might receive God's wisdom and knowledge. Well, you can, you can see, see the point. If we elevate one or two gifts so that they are the ones that everybody thinks are important, the others are unimportant, that's a problem too, right? So, for example, if we think that only teaching or preaching is is really the important thing, right? Uh, You know, I happen to think, I I preach a lot, I get up here on a lot of Sundays and I'm teaching, I happen to think it's important. But believe me, if this is all that happened in church was me preaching, this church would fall apart in about five minutes, because it's far more, you know, than what I do. What I do is visible, but there are other things that are in, less visible that are probably more important than what I do here. And I know some of you are saying amen to that, brother. <laughs> you don't, you know, I, I can tell you that. Let's keep reading verse 22 to 27. Unity through mutual honor and care. So, right. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Now we're talking again about the human body here, the analogy of human body. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, while our more presentable parts do not, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so combined the body, giving the greater honor to the part that lacked it, there should be that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you notice he's kind of fluidly moving between the human body and the church as the body of Christ in this, in this passage we've been reading. Listen, you may have been told that, you're, that no one is indispensable, right? Like if you're in a business, if you're working in, in your job, uh, one of the sort of axioms of working in, in, in the field of work is that you're not indispensable, thank you very much, because you may think you are, but, you know, if you get the, you get the sack or you move on, next week someone else will be in your place and we've forgotten all about you. And so sometimes we feel that way in the ch- church, that we're just dispensable. If we weren't part of we, if we weren't here, if we weren't involved, you know, we're not really needed. But listen... This is the wonderful thing. Is there an indispensable member of this church? Is there any? And the answer is yes. Well, who is that? That's you. You are indispensable, right? The church needs you. All of us are in absolutely necessary and needed. You are the indispensable member of the church, and so is the person sitting next to you. That's what Paul says. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now he's talking about the human body. And I believe me, as you get a bit older, you discover parts of your body you didn't even know existed. As they start to break down, you think, oh, I really needed that. Uh, and it, but it's indispensable. When we recognize and make room for God's gifts among us, especially that those that naturally don't receive honor, we strengthen our unity and we show care for one another. This one is important. You know, there are some gifts in the church that more naturally receive recognition, just in the way the the, the church operates. Someone in my position who's preaching and teaching. You know, is more visible. Someone who's leading worship is more visible, right? And so it's just more natural that those people receive some kind of recognition and honor. What about the person who is cleaning or you know, putting out the chairs in the morning or who is uh, leading a home group or is, uh, you know, putting out food or, you know, just all sorts of a hundred things that we do here at the church. You know, we've got in, in way we've got a volunteer appreciation event coming up. It's very important. Because it's doing exactly what Paul's saying here. It's honoring those parts of the body that don't, in the natural way of things, receive recognition. And that honor is an interesting thing. It's the, it's, uh, it's the one thing that Paul says we should compete in, is to outdo one another. This is Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, look. 
The world is looking for recognition. They're looking for fame. They're looking for honor. They're looking for appreciation. And there is a competition. It, and even in those, there are some cultures which are very based on what we call honor-shame cultures, where the best thing in life is to be honored and the worst thing is to be shamed. But believe me, even, even if, you know, uh, Western culture doesn't receive that label of honor, shame. It's still very much like that. It's a culture where uh, honor, recognition, fame, uh, celebrity, that's really, really important in our cultures. Uh, and people are in us, in, uh, what so many people are, what they're doing in life is seeking recognition, seeking honor, seeking appreciation. And they're motivated by that, whether it's extremes, you know, they've got to be a celebrity uh, or, but not everybody's like that, but still, there's a, there's a kind of competition for honor, for fame, for celebrity, for recognition. How many hits did you get on your you know, post? How many likes? How many smiles? How many, right? How much appreciation do you get on social media? There's a competition there. Paul, that, of course, is the opposite of, what's Paul ta- of what Paul's talking about here. But in between this passage in 1 Corinthians and what he says in Romans, it's very clear that if there's any competition, it's a competition to give honor away. It's a competition to show honor, to show respect, to show appreciation. That's something we can compete in, right? That's something we can put effort into, is to give appreciation, to give honor to the, the, the different gifts and the different people that God has put in the church. And if we do that, then you will all end up with a, with a certain amount of appreciation. It'll be enough, right? Because someone else is competing to honor you and to appreciate you. See, it says here, God has so combined the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Somehow, God's honoring the best parts of the body leads to care for one another. Now, how does that work? It works like this. When God gives honor to, to, to someone, through, then that gives them value. That gives them importance. That gives them value in the eyes of one another. And we then for care for that person. Why do we care for the people among us? Because they're important. Because God honors them. Because God has placed them there. Because they are precious in the eyes of the Lord. Because they are worth something. We, we put effort into, we give love to, we give care towards something that is important. That is valuable, right? So, you know, maybe you, in your life, you have things that you just count as precious and you care for them. Maybe your pet, your dog or something, you know, it's precious to you, uh, you, you care for it, you put time and money into that animal because it's something that you value. It's something that's given honor in your eyes or value or importance, right? Things that aren't are important, we don't put any time, we don't care for, we let them, we let them rot, right? There's those parts of the garden that we can't be bothered with, right? Or the parts of the car that we don't bother cleaning or, you know, there's things that we're just not concerned about. 
and so we don't care for them. But in God's church, he gives honor to the, to the parts of the body, to every part of the body, and to those that naturally aren't honored. And because they're honored by God, we need to, they, then that's why we care for one another, because they are, you're valuable to God. That's why you're worth looking after and caring for and loving, because you're loved and honored by God. A lack of care shows a lack of the right set of values, right? And if we're caring for one another because we're important to one another, important to God, then we're going to be unified. We're going to be unified in Christ's body. Now, let's read the next passage, verse 28 to 31, recognizing the gifts. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? And Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So at the end of, after saying this importance of honoring, caring the body, looking after one another, recognizing one another, needing one another. He's now going to give another list of gifts. And you'll notice that these are things that people that God has set in the church. We've got a, it's basically two groups. We've got first, we've got a group that's numbered and then a group that's not numbered. So we've got first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. And then there's a whole list which are not further numbered. Gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, that's interesting. And, and it's interesting because of, of the variety of gifts, right? You've got administrators and helps, uh, healings, tongues, whatever that is. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, teachers, prophets, and apostles, and miracles. That's an incredible variety. Is that all, the, is that all the, the gifts that are in the church? No, it's a representative list. It's a sample, but it's an important list, nevertheless. And... He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Uh, God appoints people in the church. God appoints, gives gifts, and therefore we need to accept the gifts that God has given. We need to re rejoice in, celebrate, honor, recognize the gifts that God has given. How do you know what gifts God has given you? Well, one of the key ways that you know is by other people recognizing what gifts God has given you. So that's the one way to find out. What, is, what gifts do you think I have? You know, and see what they say. That'll help. And the second way, of course, to, 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 to discover your gifts is to try things. If you sit, you know, on your sofa all week, internet surfing, or, you know, whatever it is you're doing... Uh, watching videos on YouTube. Uh, the, what, what gift are you going to discover? I've got quick thumbs. <laughs> I'm good with the thumbs, right? I can text like a champion, man. That's my gift. No, that's the only thing you ever do. So you see the point, right? You're going to discover. How do you know if you have a gift of teaching unless you teach someone? How do you know if you have a gift of healing unless you pray for the sick. You see my point? And so you 
need to be seeking to serve people in all kinds of ways and, and help people reach the lost in all kinds of ways. And, at some, and along the way, you're going to discover and other people are going to see the things that God has gifted you in. Things that God has gifted you in. Now, Paul makes a very strong point that all people don't have all the gifts, right? Are all apostles? Well, no. Are all prophets? The answer is, of course, a rhetorical question. No, that's not the case. No, all are not prophets. Are all teachers? No. Thank God for that. Uh, are all, do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no to all these questions. But he then says, but earnestly desire the higher or the greater gifts. Now, what does that mean? On the one hand, he says, God has not given all the gifts to all the people. On the other hand, he says, to desire gifts. So it seems like you're not necessarily stuck with what you've got. But you can pray for, desire, and seek other gifts beyond what you think you have already. And that seems to be what then you can, that God can do that. What are the better or the higher gifts? Well, it depends on the situation, I suspect, right? I mean, if, you, if you've got a gift of teaching, but you meet someone who's, who's, just had a, who's just got a broken leg, you know, in a car accident, you, how you, you can help them in various ways. What, you know, if some church members come into the hospital room to meet the person who's got a broken leg, sit lying in hospital, then... A person with a gift of mercy is going to be showing comfort, mercy, right? Empathy, sympathy, going to show love. They're going to encourage that person. The person, that's great. The person uh, with a gift of, te- of teaching might be saying, what can you learn through this? And, you know, that's good too in its way. The person with a gift of healing is really going to be welcome in that hospital room, Right? So you see the point, the the better gift is what's needed in a particular situation. And and so you can ask God for these things. By the way, it's quite, this is just a slightly off the topic, but you'll see these gifts are appointments by God, right? And you've got, uh, this is, some of these are leadership gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, administrators, but you'll see that in other places in the New Testament, you've got other descriptions of church leadership. You've got elders and deacons in the in the past in, in Timothy and Titus. How do those two? You've got all, you've got structured leadership, elders, deacons, pe- with people official appointments, and you've got what we might be called charismatic or spiritually empowered posi- uh, appointments by God, and they're not necessarily exactly the same people. In other words, if, if you're an elder in this church, you're going to have some spiritual gifts. You won't have them all. But there may be people in the, in the church who are not in the leadership. That is, they're not in, the, in uh, one of the council or, you know, the high, the high, the high council of, of, of church leaders here. You know, whatever they're called. And, uh, but you're still spiritually gifted by God. And that gift gives you a measure of authority. That is the authority to do the gift that God has given you to do. But it has, and so these two kind of structures, the spiritual, pneumatically, you know, gifted, spiritually gifted uh, uh, appointments by God overlap and, and crisscross in interesting ways with the, with the appointments, official appointments of people to, to positions 
in churches. And uh, anyway, so let's move on. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 3 start off and here we come to gifts and love in particular first of all gifts without love verses one to three if i speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love i'm I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol if i have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love i am nothing if i give away all i have and if i deliver up my body uh, to be burned but i have not i have not love i gain nothing you're probably really familiar with this First Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter, right? It gets read at weddings. But listen, what, what is its context? Context is about spiritual gifts. Paul's saying here, by the way, I'm not saying you shouldn't read it at your wedding. All I'm saying is its in, original intention was uh, to, uh, to focus the Corinthians' attention to how they use their spiritual gifts they've got to do it with love if you have all these gifts gifts of tongues uh gifts of uh prophecy gifts of wisdom and knowledge gifts of faith if you don't have love it's pointless useless empty fruitless now i think that i mean it's kind of obvious in one way but it's also very startling you can have powerful spiritual gifts of prophecy and and, uh, knowledge and healing and miracles And yet it's worth absolutely zero if it's not done with love. And yet these are gifts given by the Spirit. And yet they can be negated through a character, through the lack of love. And I think it's because, as we've already talked about, the gifts are meant to display who God is, to portray Him, to give us a picture of the invisible. And if you... you, if you are using your spiritual gift but without love, you are negating what the gift is intended to do, right? On the one hand, you're trying to express, the, on the one hand, the gift is intended to show and demonstrate and enact the love of God among us. On the other hand, if you're, not, you know, if you're doing it without love, you're just working against the whole purpose of the gift. Uh, and notice the various gifts mentioned in this passage, tongues of men and angels. Tongues, by the way, means languages. Uh, prophecy, uh, wisdom and knowledge, and faith, and perhaps the gift of giving as well. We keep reading, verses 4 to 7. Gifts with love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is such a precious passage about love. You'll notice that most of it is what love is not. Some of it is what is, right? Love is not envious or boastful. It is patient and kind. Now, let's relate this to gifts, because that's what this passage is about. If you if you are using your gift with love, you're using it with patience and kindness. If you're using a gift with love, you're not envious of others or boastful. You know, uh, there was this guy a few years ago uh, that I was a a co-worker with and uh, I got really envious of this guy because Every gift that I thought I had, every ministry I thought I I had, he had, and he did it better, honestly. So uh, I thought I was 
like to teach the Word of God, he taught better than I did. Uh, I thought I, I liked to play guitar. He was a far better guitarist. I liked to sing, and, and, uh, and he was a much better singer. He was also better looking. Uh, and he was more charismatic personality. You know, I was a, I, I'm not really an extrovert. I'm a wannabe extrovert. I grew up wanting to be, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an extrovert, you know, because I, I think they have more fun. But... Uh, you know, but I just couldn't do it because I'm not. But uh, everything that I, you know, I thought I wanted, he was doing it better. And at the same time, I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, what, you know, I'd like your gifts. The Lord really spoke to me, really spoke to me. Just stop envying that man. Stop being jealous of that man. You know, you accept what I've given you, accept what I've given you. If I'm using my gifts in an envious fashion, if I'm treating my own gifts in an envious fashion, I'm not doing it in love, am I? I'm, also, if I'm, do, if I'm doing it in boasting fashion, if I want people to impress, I'm, if I'm using my gift to impress, then that's not love. If you use your gift to insist on your own way, that's not love. This is hard, by the way, for people who are good at things uh, to, to not, to, if you're really good at something that God has given you to do, it's really hard to let other people have a go at the same thing and do it less well, right? You, like people who administrate really, really well, it's hard for them to let go of whatever they're administrating, give it to someone else who's really not that good an administrator because you know you can do it better. And you know, you believe at least, that your way is better. So you insist on it being done your way. That's not love. So love, therefore, is what, what is meant to undergird the use of every gift that God has given you, whether it's spiritual or natural, right? Love is not self-promoting. It's not doing something for self-satisfaction and it's not wrapped up with self-regard, self-pity and just self. Let's keep reading verses 8 to 13. Let's talk about the limits of spiritual gifts. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part that when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. By the way, uh, I went to, a, when I was at uh, high school age, I went to a, a grammar school that was, uh, belonged to a, a church and uh, it was a boys' school. And uh, this passage always, I, when I get to this passage, I have to smile because uh, the school captain, the boy who was the captain of the, of the school captain, he had to read out uh, this, uh, you know, in, once a year he had to read out a passage of scripture in the, in the, in the school chapel service. And uh, that year, when the school chap, when when uh, 
this passage happened to be the reading for the day. Uh, he read out, and his name was Peter Love. And so we got to the climax of the passage, and he's saying, the greatest of these is love. And it was just one of those things. It just brings, I, just, I just giggle about it, really. But he, he never lived that down. Uh, listen, to there's limits on spiritual gifts. They're wonderful, they're incredible, they're powerful, they're mystical, they're essential. They're also limited in, in certain ways. First of all, they're limited because they don't last forever. That is, they don't last beyond when Jesus comes back, right? You'll see here that prophecies, tongues, and knowledge cease or pass away, right? And when does that happen? It says in verse 10, when the perfect comes. What does that mean? It says, when we, it says in verse 12, when we see face to face, right? When Jesus comes back, and we see him face to face, you won't need gifts of healing anymore because we'll all be healed, right? You won't need gifts of prophecy because you'll be hearing it directly from the lips of Jesus, right? You won't need gifts of wisdom through one another. You'll be hearing it from the Lord and, and so on. So that's when Jesus comes back, you won't need these gifts. Until then, we do. But we don't, so they are limited, you know, in the sense for this world and this life and this era. Secondly, the gifts are limited because they are partial and incomplete. He says here, we know in part, right? He mentions several gifts here, right? Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. We know in part the gift of knowledge and we prophesy partially. Uh, so the spiritual gifts, no matter how wonderful they are, are limited in some extent. They're not. So a gift of knowledge is a wonderful thing, but you're never going to be all-knowing, right? Because that's good for, for, for God only. You know, when you get to heaven, you don't suddenly become all-knowing, all, you know, omniscient, om, omnipresent, omni, omnipotent. You don't become God. You're always going to be human. And so... And, and our gifts of knowledge are never complete, but they're helpful. And the gifts of prophecy are partial. And he talks about, you know, uh, it's, it's like growing up, right? Um, he's talking about the difference between chi childhood and adulthood. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And that's a kind of an allusion back to a passage we looked at before in this group here, Numbers 12, when... Moses and Aaron and Miriam are talking to the Lord because Aaron and Miriam are jealous about Moses' recognition by God, his honor. They wanted to be honored as prophets like Moses. And God is saying, just Moses got a different kind of gift. He sees, he, he, he talks to me face to face, or mouth to mouth. Uh, most, God says to them, prophets, when I speak to a prophet, I speak... Uh, you know, as in a mirror, uh, through a kind of a riddle, uh, through dreams and, and, and visions. And whereas Moses, he, he hears my voice and it's face to face. And so Aaron and Miriam are told, yes, you know, not that you aren't prophets, but you're not like Moses. So don't be jealous, don't be envious. But here's the point that Christ, even Christian prophecy, no matter how good it is, is is not the same as meeting Jesus face to face when he comes back. Amen? And so it is limited. It's incomplete. So there are limits on gifts. They don't do everything, 
But they, it's just, as that's what the gift of the Spirit is. When the Spirit is given to us, it's incredible. It is the wonderful, infinite God coming to dwell within us. But he, and He gives us a foretaste of things to come. He gives us a down payment on the full inheritance that we're going to receive. So we experience in part now, that's why, you know, gifts of healing are incredible, but they're partial. What do you mean partial? Well, even if you were raised from the dead like Lazarus, he still has to die again, right? They're not complete. And so they're partial, but they're still great. So this passage is sometimes used to argue that gifts of the Spirit have already passed away. With no more prophecy, no more tongues, no more of these sort of things. I just want to say, I don't think that's what it's about. It's saying we need these things till Jesus comes back, but recognize their partial, incomplete nature, nature in the meantime. Finally, we get to our final passage, verses four, chapter 14, 1 to 5. Uh, and we'll start with verse 1. This is about love building up. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. It's not choosing love rather than gifts, right? Or gifts rather than love. It's choosing love and gifts because it's the gifts the other way we express love. And so it's not... And, and look, love is greater than gifts. There's no doubt about what we saw that in chapter 13. Love is greater than any gift and yet love is expressed through gifts. So we don't have to choose between them. It's not, oh, I want the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. We don't have to make that choice. The, 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 the fruit or the love of the Spirit is expressed through the gifts that God gives us by His Spirit. Now, so we pursue both love and spiritual gifts. Verse 2 to 5, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. You know, in, in, back in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Paul says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, this knowledge, Paul says, puffs up, but love builds up. Paul's very concerned about building up one another. And he wants the church of Corinth to use their gifts to build one another up, not just for themselves. And notice then, the love, is, the love theme is really continuing here. You've got various gifts. They've got tongues, they've got prophecy. But look, use your gifts for building up. It mentions building up here three times in this passage, in verse Three, one who prophesies speaks for upbuilding. Verse four, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse five, uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets that a church may be built up. It's all about building up others. And uh, that's what the gifts are for. Now, so you'll see, and I think, um, by the way, I'm going to, uh, I want to spend some time and I'll going to do this next week on explaining what I think these gifts of tongues and prophecy actually are and why they're given. Uh, we don't have time to do that today. So I'm going to come back to this little part, passage and a bit more of chapter 14 next week as we finish our sequence on 
uh, on life in the Spirit and uh, the gifts of the Spirit. But for now, I want you to see that we've got a common theme all the way from chapter 12, uh, 12 all the way through here to 14.5. It's all about care and love and for one another. It's all about using the gifts to represent the love and the character of God. It's all about displaying God's love, God's constancy, his faithfulness, his goodness, his compassion, his voice, his mercy, his word among ourselves and to the world. The gifts and love go together. Amen? All right, let's, uh, why don't we stand and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pray. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your love. We are, we are objects of your love and your grace and your kindness. We thank you that we are objects of your care and your compassion. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But we also thank you, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And through your Holy Spirit, you've given us particular gifts, wonderful things, through which, Lord, we can demonstrate your love. Lord, remove from our hearts the envy of others, the boastfulness in ourself, the self-pity that says no one needs me, the arrogance that says I need no one. Remove from our hearts, Lord, the, 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 the love of honor and give us instead, Lord, a heart to honor others Link us together in love and unity in the spirit that we might use our gifts to serve you and serve one another and, and serve the world in your name. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would pour out your spirit afresh upon them, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, empower us, Lord, to give us the gifts that you choose. And we seek the gifts that you want for us, Lord, the best gifts, the ones that are most necessary wherever we are, in Jesus' name. Father, and I also want to pray today for anybody who does yet not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would touch and reach into that person's heart and soul, and turn them around, help them to put their trust in you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.